This is a 720 to go podcast from Chicago's WGN Radio 720. This podcast is sponsored by ADM. As one of the world's largest agricultural processors, ADM is uniquely positioned to serve the world's growing needs for abundant food and renewable energy. ADM. When it comes to the business of America's farmland, you need the information from the people who know it best. That's why we bring you AgriCast with Orion Samuelson and Max Armstrong. Ten minutes after five o'clock on this Saturday morning, the first Saturday of May, and a beautiful day in store for the Midwest area. And you'll have the opportunity, I hope, to get out and enjoy some of it if you stay six feet away from the person next to you. But Orion Samuelson with you as we are every Saturday morning here on WGN Radio Chicago and just catching up on some of the news headlines, a headline that uh, I didn't uh, realize that uh, yesterday, uh, for the first time, In a long time, President Trump left the White House. When his Marine One helicopter left the South Lawn, it was the first time the president had left the White House grounds since March 28. March 28, when he visited Norfolk, Virginia, to see the U.S. Navy hospital ship Comfort set sail for New York Harbor. And then the other headline this morning, speaking of world leaders, the president of North Korea, who has sort of disappeared from sight uh, the past several weeks, uh, Kim Jong-un, he uh, showed up, according to the press services in North Korea, he attended the completion of a fertilizer plant in a region north of the capital, Pyongyang, in the first report of his public activity since April 11. Reuters, however, that carried the story said it could not independently verify the report from North Korea. But according to the report, Kim cut a ribbon at the ceremony yesterday, and those attending the event burst into thunderous cheers of hurrah for the supreme leader who is commanding the all-people general march for accomplishing the great cause of prosperity. That's the quote of the Korean News Service. And Kim expressed satisfaction about the production system of the fertilizer factory, saying the plant made significant contribution for the progress of North Korea's chemical industry and food production. See what you can learn with today's technology. I'd never had that story uh, years ago because we wouldn't have the technology available to get it to us. Speaking of technology, I mentioned to Matt earlier that uh, the future of the county fair season is still in question for a lot of county fairs. But yesterday, I uh, had a long talk with my very good friend, Andy Grossetta, former president of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, a rancher in North Dakota, or in, uh, in Arizona, about 100 miles north of the uh, capital of Phoenix. And he told me that their county fair was underway in uh, Yavapai County, Arizona, but it was being done virtually. That's right. 
they go out, uh, or somebody does, maybe the um, 4-H'er or FFA member who has the animal, but uh, before the scheduled fair, they shoot videotape of the animals they would normally lead into the show ring at the county fair, and uh, they shoot the video of that, and then the judge, cattle judge from California, uh, sits down and looks at the uh, videotape of the animals that the 4-Hers and FFA members are showing or would have shown at the fair, and then they do their judging them from there. Interesting, some of the changes in our lifestyle that we're going to see because of the pandemic. But uh, we're going to talk gardening as we do uh, every Saturday during the growing season here on WGN Radio. Jim Fazell standing by, and uh, he'll join us when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. Here we are in the month of May, and frankly, I was a little surprised by the corn and soybean planting progress that we covered last week because we got a lot of work done on farms. But what about gardens? Well, you know who we turn to. We turn to Jim Fazell, our specialist in ornamental horticulture. And Jim, before we get started with what you are going to talk about, let's do our rain gauge uh, comparison. I have three inches of rain in my gauge this week. We had a little over three and a half, and that's more than we needed. (laughs) It was a wet week. I think we talked last Saturday about that it would be a wet week and it might be tough to get out into the gardens. And other than the beginning of the week, I think Monday we did gardening last week, and we got a lot of stuff done before the rain hit. Uh, And actually, you know, when you stop and think about it, this is a little bit early for a lot of our garden plants. Um, in fact, uh, we're going to talk in just a, a bit about when we can plant. But uh, this, uh, yesterday morning, Friday morning, uh, at our place, we had frost on the roof on uh, many of the houses on the north and west sides. Now, corn in the ground isn't going to be hurt because it takes um, several days for that to germinate. So I think the corn is going to be okay. I have no fear that that'll be all right. In fact, corn can stand some frost before before it really gets damaged, even if it damages the tips of the leaves, as long as it doesn't damage that little growing point down underneath, you're fine on the corn. But, you know, it's really incredible. In various areas uh, where they didn't have a lot of rain, we got a tremendous amount of stuff in the ground. And that just goes to show you that that uh, our farmers are so skillful at, what, skillful at what they do, and they have such wonderful equipment like nothing else in the world that we have the premier growers throughout our United States, of anywhere in the world, we do a better job, more inexpensively, more efficiently than any place else in the world. And, you know, there are just so few of our farmers in this country anymore. I think about 2% of our population right. we tend to, to skip over them. In fact, we have more people here in Cook County than, than farm in this country. So we need to be very careful about what we say about our farmers because we could be just one genera- or one uh, season away from uh, disaster in this country if our good farmer friends don't get out there and do their job. And they well, don't do it just because they they know that they have to feed us. They also do it for the love of being in the country and doing doing what's good to watch these plants come up and see them mature and get out and harvest. It's it's a lifestyle that that can't be duplicated. And those of us who have farm background and have to live in the cities, uh, we look back at those 
people that are fortunate enough enough to live out there, and we really appreciate them. So let's talk about the first frost-free date. Is that getting close? Well, it is. It's next Tuesday on the 5th of May. Now, <clears throat> that's what we call the frost-free date. And that uh, it's kind of a guideline. And actually, it doesn't mean we couldn't have a frost after that. It means that that is the average date of the last frost in this area. And it happens to be next Tuesday, May the 5th, which means that we have a 50% chance that we're going to have a frost after that. Now, we just had a frost, as I mentioned. That means that we could have more of these. The latest date of last frost, that's the date after which we just don't have frost, is May 30. So we're a few weeks away from that. Now, that isn't even perfectly safe. And you and I remember, I think it was in 1961, you and I were both at O'Hare Field. Didn't see each other there, but we looked out across those fields. Lo and behold, there's frost on the fields out there at O'Hare at the end of May, beginning of June. So it can happen. Anyway, there are some other things that people use as guidelines as far as one to plant. Our old-time farmers here planted by the moon, and they considered other guidelines as well. Uh, They said that you had to wait until the full moon in May for it to be safe to put out tomatoes. Well, the full moon in May this year is May 7th, so it's pretty early, not much after the uh, average date of last frost. So if you, if you plan the way our farmers around here did, that would be a good chance. Might be a little bit chancy this year. Another thing that they looked at was uh, how the plant material is growing. Now, we've had a, a slow season in some ways, uh, the temperatures have been rather cool, which is nice as far as flowers are concerned. They lasted a long time. We haven't had any storms to, to knock them down to speak of. Anyway, uh, some of our farmers always looked at the catalpa trees. Now, this tends to be a southern variety which grows in this area, and they said don't plant tomatoes until catalpa leaves are the size of your hand. Well, how big are the catalpa leaves right now? I can look out my window at a catalpa tree here at my office. There aren't any leaves on it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's a little bit early. And, you we'll know, we've been talk- I've been talking for two weeks about my redbud tree that's outside this window as well. Finally, it's beginning to bloom. That's two weeks later than I thought it would be. So we've had some cool weather, a few days of nice warm weather in between, but still cool. Now, right, right now, we're talking about... Uh, today and tomorrow being in the mid-70s, which is great. This will make a lot of things burst into bloom. Uh, it'll dry the soils out quite a bit, particularly for folks that had six, seven inches of rain this past week. It's going to dry those out a bit. That soil's a little bit too wet pl- for planting anyway. Um, the uh, degree days, uh, and I get the report every week on that, we're still 20 to 30 degree, uh, percent behind on our accumulated degree days. So it has been cool, especially by the lake. Plenty of moisture, excellent for seeded lawns and for new transplants if you got them in the ground. But don't rush to plant tender things because we could still have frost, and the ground is pretty wet. Frequently, frequent rains that we've had are making the soil too wet for working, but it'll dry out pretty quickly. Um, the important thing to remember is you don't want to work the soil when it's still too wet. Don't rush. We have plenty of time. Now, if you can get your soil worked, it is safe to set out the first tomatoes if you can cover them, should there be a frost. Some of the things that you can put out would be things like the coals. This would be cabbage and Brussels sprouts and broccoli. That type of thing can go out because they will take a freeze. In fact, um, many times they can be grown in the fall to where they'll last up into December if they have a little bit of protection. Things that you can sow right now in the garden would be your first planting of beans. 
You can sow beets, carrots, and certainly greens. Now, the soil temperatures aren't real high, so you don't need to rush on things like beans, but you could put them in the ground if your soil is in the sun where you can get a little bit of heat and where it dries out pretty nicely. It's too cool for things like super sweet sweet corn and some of the vines and okra because they do have to have warm soils before they'll begin to grow. Uh, if you have plants, you can set out impatiens and geraniums and marigolds, uh, petunias. They take a little bit of a frost. And incidentally, the garden centers are open this weekend. Most of them have opened. A lot of them say that uh, they will allow you to come into the place as long as you wear your your face covering and if you maintain your six feet between people distances, no problems. So I, I have a suspicion that today and tomorrow there are going to be a lot of people hitting the garden centers, and they have they have plant materials that are ready to go. So you can't get the materials to plant. If the ground isn't ready to do do that yet, uh, you have these little packs or flats of plants. They can be set aside. Uh, you can put them in the sun, take them back in if you, if we have damage or danger of uh, too heavily a rain, too heavy rain, um, or some freezing weather before you get them into the ground. Uh, but this is the time to begin. It's not really the time to plant, but it's a good time to plant. Um, there are other things that can be done while you're outdoors. One of the things I like to do is a little bit of plant, uh, plant tending at this time of year. Things that need to be pruned, if you haven't done it already, would be your grapevines, if you're doing production grapes, uh, raspberries to take out the old overused dead canes. Uh, peach trees can be trimmed at this time of year. They're starting to bud, but it's still it's not too, too late to do that. And, of course, uh, a lot of the things that that are starting to grow, uh, uh, we need to take some care of them. One of the things I like to do is get the cages and stakes and so forth around the perennial plants. It's a lot easier to put those around them before and let them grow into them or tie them as they grow than to try to get the cages on after the plants are up and falling over. One other thing that I want to mention, it's time to set up the rabbit fence around your garden if you haven't done so. Uh, the little bunnies are already out. Uh, in fact, our next-door neighbor has a nice big ceramic planter in her backyard. Um, one of our neighborhood kids who rides his bike up and down our driveway, driveway happened to notice that the, that the mulch on top of this planter was moving. So Jane and he went over and took a look. Lo and behold, there's a bunny nest up in this thing. And they were there for two weeks after we first noticed them. But this past week, lo and behold, eight little bunnies took off and jumped around the yard after being raised on, in this flower pot. So they're out there. We didn't need eight more bunnies. But if, if you're in a spot where you have plants that are going to be eaten by bunnies, Put up the garden, the uh, uh, rabbit fence around your garden, particularly around the things that they like to eat on, uh, to protect them until they're up big enough that maybe the bunnies can have some without destroying the plants. Uh, one other thing that I that I haven't had a chance to talk about in several weeks is uh, things about raised beds and vertical gardens to take um, uh, best advantage of some of our smaller gardens. We're not going to get to that this week, but I think next week we will talk about the most efficient use of the space that you have. And there's still time to do the planning and the preparing for that uh, before we have to be planting. And of course, there are those uh, towers in the city with apartments where some people manage to grow gardens on their balcony, don't they? 
They sure do, and we can talk about that, too. That's a very interesting project, and uh, uh, we've done that, as I know you have as well, when you were one of the cliff dwellers down in there, there in the city. So we need to talk about that because there are a lot of people that do that. And since many of us are, are stuck at home, there are some things that we can do that we normally wouldn't do, uh, even down in the city. Folks that uh, are working from home you know, have some time to get out onto their gallery or their balcony and do some of these things that they wouldn't otherwise do. So it's an interesting time of year. It's a great time of year. There are a lot of things for people to do, especially people that are innovative. And, uh, and by the way, I always get uh, a, a question about people that have garden questions. Uh, is it, uh, it all right if they email you with garden questions? Yeah, but not uh, not the old address, because our new address, uh, as a matter of fact, let me uh, set up next week an address where I can get the questions, and I'll share them with you on Saturday morning. That would be great, because I know a lot of people that are have, having questions and don't know how to get a hold of us. And I'll let them know next week. So we look forward uh, to a good weekend, and I hope you and Jane enjoy, and we'll chat with you a week from today here on the Saturday Morning Show. 28 minutes after 5 o'clock, and the temperature outside my studio in Huntley, Illinois, is 56 degrees. Not a bad start to this morning. I have three inches of rain in my gauge that fell during the past week. The thing that has been interesting about the whole situation on the distancing and so on is that many of us in the broadcasting industry are working from home. Some interesting TV backgrounds in some of those reports that we see on the news. And the fact is that uh, you really don't know where we are. For example, Jim is in Park Ridge, Illinois. I'm talking to you from my home studio in Huntley, Illinois. And as I mentioned earlier with Matt, we're going to spend and are spending a lot of time talking about cancellations because of the uh, situation. And uh, speaking of cancellations, besides those we've mentioned, a month from this weekend, we would normally be in Harvard, Illinois, to celebrate Harvard Milk Day, the salute to the dairy industry in McHenry County. That will not happen this year. There will be no June Dairy Month in, or I should know, say there'll be no Harvard Milk Days in June, but they will hold Milk Days this fall, and we'll keep you posted on that. i forget to let me take a quick look the dates october 16 17 and 18 for harvard milk days harvard illinois so if you haven't made note of that by all means do so wgn radio chicago it is 5 30 on this saturday morning and that means it's time for samuelson says I'm Orion this morning talking about a very unusual graduation season for 2020. Believe it or not, despite the fact that it happened nearly seven decades ago, I still have some vivid memories of my graduation from high school in Ontario, Wisconsin. 
We had family get-togethers. We had picnics. And then, of course, we had the opportunity to walk across the stage in the community hall to receive our high school diploma. But as I remember the year I graduated, I also wonder about the graduation ceremonies for this year's graduates, 2020. With the COVID-19 restriction, what kind of a graduation ceremony they will have. That's why I am looking for some unusual ways that they have found to present awards and scholarships to this year's graduating class. So let me share with you this story from the Compere Financial Fund for Rural America that a couple of weeks ago, presented 120 graduating seniors with $1,500 scholarships each. And let me share the announcement as to how they did it. They said, in the wake of the coronavirus and social distancing measures, many students are missing the awards banquets and the graduation events where scholarships would normally be presented. The team of Compere Financial put together a creative plan for awarding these scholarships, personally calling each of the 120 students and creating a video to share in the students' accomplishments. What a great way to present scholarship awards to graduating seniors, to call them personally and say, you just received a $1,500 scholarship to continue your college education in some agricultural profession. Yes, that's, I think, a great way to recognize their accomplishments and present the award, even though they couldn't be there to shake hands to present the scholarship personally. So my congratulations to individuals and organizations and companies and folks like Compere Financial Fund for Rural America for finding a memorable way and an unusual way to salute the students of the class of 2020. My thoughts on Samuelson Says, a presentation of Nexstar Media Group. We do this every week, and it's interesting to see some of your takes on it, your agreement or your disagreement on the things that I see. But uh, we have a lot more to talk about here this morning because of the events and the changes in our schedules for this year. So uh, we're going to check in with uh, Mike Pearson to talk markets with Mark Bartlett when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. To help us make sense of everything that's moving the markets, we are joined today by Matt Bennett from agmarket.net. Matt, thanks for taking the time to chat with us. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate uh, you having me on here, Mike. Well, let's talk about this midweek bounce we saw. We did have some pretty decent export numbers uh, across the board. Why don't you tell us what that means for corn and soybeans? Yeah, you know, I mean, you look Tuesday and Wednesday, we basically went in and tried to break this $3 mark again on front month May futures, and we weren't able to break through. Uh, So a couple of days in a row, uh, it seemed like there was some selling. We saw a lot of buying show up, you know, as you looked. But uh, you come in here Thursday morning, you see export sales numbers that were actually rather large, both corn and beans. Uh, We we saw really good uh, pork export sales as well. And so, yeah, I think the market maybe feels like we're not going to be able to bust through three dollars 
maybe with, uh, I don't think there's as much confidence we're going to do so. And so uh, bottom line, in my opinion, uh, you see a little bit of buying show up. Maybe the selling has subsided a little bit just for the time being anyway. Now, on the corn side, as we look at that old crop number, we can't get through three bucks. When you turn around and look to the upside, how much bounce are you anticipating here on some of this uh, this decent news we're getting amidst the COVID-19 pandemic? Right. I, I think a person has to keep things in perspective. I mean, there's no question that, uh, you know, ethanol uh, is, is still an issue. I mean, whenever you're, you're, you're missing the mark that you need to hit to hit the USDA goal by 40 to 45 million bushels a week, you can't get super friendly just yet. We are hearing about a couple of ethanol plants coming back online this week. So, you know, I'd like to think that maybe we could uh, build a base, if anything, and have some support in here. But I don't think it's any secret that most people expect this May 12th uh, report to be anything but friendly so how much of a bounce could we see you know i think that if you could get you know a 15 20 cent bounce that would be asking a heck of a lot i think getting maycorn back up into the 320 uh, range would probably be about as far as what i could see at bounce do you see old crop soybeans moving much in either direction here over the next week you know, I think old crop soybeans, you could have a little more of a bounce, relatively speaking, what you could see as far as corn is concerned. Uh, the whole soybean complex is a different animal, I think, than, than corn. It seems to me like lately, uh, whenever the corn market's been under fire, bean market has seen enough spillover pressure, hadn't really been able to do much. But at the same time, you look at the soybean supply and band balance sheet and you look towards this May 12th report, I don't think you see near the bearishness that you see whenever you look over to the corn side of things. So I've got a little more hope there for soybeans. It's just a matter of are we going to be able to pick up some of this export business that Brazil continues to enjoy? And I think seeing the real this week back off somewhat from the uh, making new lows every day type mindset, I think that's a really good positive development. Hopefully we'll see more of that uh, here coming up. We are seeing lots of planters rolling across the country. What's your take on planting progress here as we get through 2020? Yeah, you know, we talked about this a little bit before we came on. Actually, we planted, uh, we got along really good early on, but bottom line, we're sitting right now. We've got two inches of rain. Uh, I've had about four inches of rain over the last week, but we were super dry before we got that. You get north of me, there's parts of central Illinois had six inches or more in the last week. You get outside of this particular area, though, and I think there's a lot of progress, whether we're talking into the Dakotas, Minnesota, Iowa. Some folks in Iowa continue to tell me they're finished. Uh, at least with corn. And so, uh, you know, I think that next week you're going to see the fastest planting progress for that week, maybe since 2012. And uh, anytime you have really good planting progress like that, it's, it's pretty tough to say, I think we're going to lose a lot, of, a lot of acres of corn, which a lot of the folks are calling for due to the profitability situation. Well, that's the thing. So if we do get that fast planting progress reported on Monday, do you think that's going to be further weakness here on the new crop contracts? I, I don't know how it would provide much support. You know, I mean, if you see that kind of progress, you have to make the assumption that most of those 97 million acres are going to get planted. I'm well aware that we don't need to plant 97 million acres of corn. Uh, you know, that's a tough ball game whenever we're talking carryouts like we're looking at. You know, you start looking at the May 12th, and, and, and we put out our estimates like everyone else did. If you can get a pencil to get it under 3 billion bushels, I'd like to know how sharp that pencil is because we're, 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 we're safely above 3 right now. If you plug 97 million acres with trendline yield kind of demand we're looking at, there's really no way to get below 3 billion. So, I mean, maybe you do, but, boy, I sure can't see it right now going to be a tough road to hoe. And Matt, when we talk about that, we've had the meat industry really facing some tough challenges. And yet this week we saw pork exports report a phenomenal number. What's going on there? And what does that mean for that market? 
you know, the bottom line, we've been looking for big pork export sales for a long time, you know, and we've seen them here and there. What's that going to do for, for pork? I think that the, the main thing it can do is just stabilize the situation. You know, we've seen these pork prices up the limit. We've seen them back off significantly. It's really tough to guess where this thing's going to go. Obviously, everyone's seen and heard of people having to do away uh, with, with some of their uh, pork you know, whenever you happen to put animals down, that's not a good situation. It's no fun for anyone. Uh, but bottom line, we've got to figure out this packer plant situation. Uh, obviously, if I was working there, I'd have a different take on things. Then uh, we all know that we need to get it up and going. But trying to do so safely is certainly going to be something that's going to be a challenge for us moving forward. I think if you can do that uh, long term, I start to feel a heck of a lot better about prices being able to rebound a little bit. A lot of challenges ahead. Matt Bennett from eggmarket.net. Thanks for taking the time to chat with us today. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me, Mike. 16 minutes before 6 o'clock here on the Saturday morning show. 55 degrees right now and what's the start of a very pleasant spring day on this first Saturday of May. A little bit uh, later, I do want to talk about the mental situation for farmers who have to destroy animals and milk and other agricultural products because they don't have any place to take them. The closing of the packing plants, uh, which are slowly being reopened, but uh, it has really put a new facet into the production of food for farmers. And I want to talk about what it does mentally to uh, those farmers who have to destroy healthy animals and milk that could be consumed by human beings. They give away as much as they can to food banks and people who are in need, but uh, it's not easy raising hogs or cattle and then having to kill them, euthanize them on the farm and uh, and get rid of the uh, bodies and carcasses. So we'll talk about that. But before we do that, uh, Max Armstrong, who is working in his home studio, had the opportunity to get on the phone with our friend Ray Brownfield. So let's check in with Max right now. Ray Brownfield, Land Pro LLC, joining us here. Ray, one would assume that under these circumstances, everything that's going on with COVID-19 and with the ag economy, land transactions would have come to a screeching halt. Is that accurate? Well, this time of year, Max, usually they get slow anyway. Prior to planting, uh, leases now in effect for 2020, so not unusual. But we've seen some cautiousness in the marketplace when we've had a few people say, Let's kind of wait and see where this goes. We're still interested in buying land, but uh, let's just kind of see where it goes for right now. So I'd say some cautiousness that's going on in the marketplace today. The commercial real estate market has to be just gone right now, right? I mean, there can't be anything changing hands as far as that's concerned. That's probably the one that's the greatest affected, I think, by this whole situation is that we know some commercial real estate deals. We were not involved with them, but some that just the contracts, they said, no way. We're not going to do that right now. And frankly, that was going to be some 1031 tax deferred money that's going to go into agriculture. So uh, we kind of lost on that to some degree. Hope it comes back. I think it will, but it's going to be slow. So for some of those folks maybe out there at the edge of suburbia, uh, they've been farming ground. They've been counting on this maybe uh, the opportunity to, well, it's their 401k, as some farmers have said. That opportunity may not come along for a while in terms of the commercial real estate value of the land right next to the city. 
I think that's true. I, I think it's a, a really an unknown, but I do think it's really going to slow that site down dramatically until because it was slow anyway. And uh, I think the really what you're going to see, Max, is probably more distribution centers go in, and they were going in anyway. Well, now with online being a huge shopping way of doing things, it's got to come to some place for distribution. So I kind of see that perhaps even getting greater. And when you look at cities, many of the metropolitan areas, I mean, it's remarkable when you drive in to see the proliferation of those that has occurred over the past oh, 10 years or so. Anywhere there is near an interstate intersection that you can get into, it is amazing. We do think that a major a software company has gone in out in DeKalb County and paid a huge amount of money. I probably shouldn't even quote it, but it's, it's just money we can't believe that's going into that area just south of I-88. And it, they take, I think they took four to 500 acres, and they're in the process of building right now. You're talking about DeKalb County, Illinois, west of Chicago then. That is correct. That is correct. Is this happening around metropolitan areas all across the United States, or is it? does it tend to be more in the heartland where you've got this hub of distribution, the confluence of the rail lines along with the interstates? I think that would be primarily where there is multi-transportation opportunities. Uh, as you just said, uh, rail, interstate highway systems, good interchanges, uh, all the infrastructure that's needed to make it really work. What about farmers buying farmland? Has this all been put on hold here now, even more so with the, the continued challenges of the ag economy? It goes day by day. It, it, it's this, this whole situation is so unknown as to when it's going to come to an end. We hope soon. But I do think it slowed the thought process down right now a bit. I still would say if a farm comes up for sale right next to an adjoining landowner who's always wanted it, uh, they're probably going to take a hard look at it. I think the competitiveness in the market today has maybe diminished somewhat, which drives price. So we'll see where that all ends up as the summer and fall goes on into the usual market opens up again uh, around harvest and after harvest. So I guess we'll have to see what happens then, Max. We've been hearing about all of those people in the cities wanting to find a place in the country after COVID-19 passes, whenever that happens. I was reading an article the other day in the Wall Street Journal talking about how people couldn't wait to get out of New York City. They've been held up in their apartments and their condominiums, and they're heading up north, upstate New York. They're looking to buy. They have the ability to work from home now for the first time in their lives, and they're going to take advantage of it. They're going to find their own place in the country. Do you think this is uh, going to be transpiring in the months ahead? I think there's a chance that it will. Uh, some of my friends in the Realtor Lands do that I belong to, and we're all brokers that talk with each other. We're starting to see a little more of that. It used to be discretionary income. When there's a little money left over, let's go to the country, have a nice place to go. We're starting to see a little more of, hey, maybe this is a good place to go and get away from the population growth, which probably has people very concerned for now and the future. So I, I think we're going to see a more of a trend. I'm not sure how much, to be honest with you. It's still kind of early on to make that prediction. But we've had some cases where we have some farms listed right now that are what I call retreat, uh, hunting kind of properties. Frankly, I've had a few more calls on them than I've had on pure farmland. So I don't know if that's going to be a trend or not. Well, it's interesting because I remember you and I talking after the tragedies of 9-11. Way back then, people were looking for a place out of the countryside. They were looking for a place that had a lake or a creek 
or uh, wooded areas, uh, they were wanting that. There was quite a demand for it at that time. In fact, I think it was doing better than, than prime farmland in some places in those days. Uh, uh, do you see that happening again now? It was at that time. Uh, I, you know, I wish I could tell you for sure, but I do think uh, the problem is that there's not a lot of that usually available. Uh, we've had, we always get calls from people in the Chicago, well, can you buy me four to five acres? And it's just not much out there in that regard. So it's going to be, have to be a bigger acreage. The question is, do they want to make that kind of investment uh, to do such? And, and understand there's lots of things that go with buying land in the country that I think that uh, they hopefully will know. Many are astute type people and do have that idea. But, you know, in the winter, you get snow removal. You get a lot of things to do that you didn't have in the city necessarily. So and I think they're going to want to be relatively close to work if they can in that regard, too. So, But they may work from home now. That's another yeah, thing yeah. going on with this whole thing. So, you know, I think our whole dynamic is going to change in many ways, maybe forever. You know, for agriculture, it poses challenges and opportunities. Uh, some farmers have been happy this spring that the roads weren't as crowded around them when it came to moving farm equipment. Conversely, I know several farmers who take advantage of the opportunity of being in close proximity to the city. They sell fruits and vegetables, have the farm stand, uh, sell Christmas trees. Uh, they do very well because they're not far out of a major metropolitan area. Now, that's correct. Uh, now it's a question of uh, each state and how they're going to allow people to be together. Uh, Illinois, as we know, probably is until the end of May. Other states a little more liberal, so we don't know. But I, I would say that that is an opportunity for roadside pickup of all kinds, even me today. And God bless the, the livestock industry right now. I feel so bad for them and what's going on out there. But I really hope that as time goes on, this all clears up. And I think there will just be different methods by which people will become accustomed to shopping and, and getting their goods and services that, that they do need. And this could just change a, a lot of things. Presents some real opportunities for farmers in some instances, doesn't it? It does. It really does. And so uh, they got to be entrepreneurial. They've got to be think out of the box. And some of us have problems with that. So, but they're going to have to to survive. We're going to have to make some changes. Ray Brownfield, Land Pro LLC. And our thanks to Max and Ray. We always enjoy his outlook on the farmland situation. And uh, as you heard, there will be some changes, certainly, in the disposition of farmland by retiring farmers uh, following this situation. I do want to spend a little time talking about the mental challenge for farmers who have to dump food the uh, folks at Associated Press in Des Moines, Iowa, did an interesting story this week. And let me share just a little bit of that with you. Because the story from Des Moines says, after spending two decades raising hogs to send to processing plants, Dean Meyer now faces the mentally draining, physically difficult task of killing them even before they leave his farm in northwest Iowa. Meyer said he and other farmers across the Midwest have been devastated by the prospect of euthanizing hundreds of thousands of hogs after the temporary closure of the giant pork production plants because of the pandemic. The unprecedented dilemma for the U.S. pork industry has forced farmers to figure out 
how to kill healthy hogs and dispose of carcasses weighing up to 300 pounds in landfills or by composting them on farms for fertilizer. Meyer, who already has killed baby pigs to reduce his herd size, said it's awful but necessary. He said, believe me, we're double-stocking barns. We're putting pigs in pens that we have never had pigs in before, just trying to hold them. We're feeding them diets that have low energy just to try to stall their growth and just to maintain. Meyer also grows corn and soybeans on his family's farm near Rock Rapids, Iowa, in the northwestern part of the state. And all of this is part of the uh, uh, colliding forces as packing plants that normally process up to 20,000 hogs a day have to close because of workers that are ill. That leaves few options for farmers raising millions of hogs. More than 60,000 farmers normally send about 115 million hogs a year to processing plants in the U.S., and a little less than a quarter of those hogs are raised in Iowa, by far the biggest pork-producing state. Officials estimate that about 700,000 pigs across the nation can't be processed each week and must be euthanized. Most of the hogs are being slaughtered on the farm, but up to 13,000 a day also may be euthanized at the JBS pork plant in Worthington, Minnesota. Representative Colin Peterson, he's a Minnesota Democrat who for years has been actively involved in agricultural legislation. He chairs the House Agriculture Committee. He went to the JBS plant on Wednesday of this week in part to thank officials for agreeing to kill the hogs at his request. The only thing they wanted out of me was for me to come down there and say, I'm the one who asked for this, not them. Blame me if you don't like it. But to help farmers, the USDA already has set up a center that can supply the tools needed to euthanize the hogs. That includes captive bolt guns and cartridges that can be shot uh, into the heads of larger animals as well as in chutes, trailers, and personal protective equipment. Iowa officials have asked that federal aid include funding for the mental health services available to farmers and the veterinarians who help them do this job that they really don't want to do. And the congressman said it's a tough one. So that's just a little bit of background on the mental challenge. Besides the physical challenge of having to euthanize hogs, that uh, can't go to market. We'll check in on the news when we continue on the Saturday morning show. As always, we thank you for joining us, and we thank our engineer, Bob Ferguson, who makes sure that everything happens when it should. And we do hope you'll enjoy the good weather this weekend, get some gardening done, or finish some of the planting that you're trying to get done, and have a safe and healthy week. I'm Orion Samuelson. Thank you for joining us on the Saturday Morning Show. 
Florian Samuelson keeps you connected to the world of business and agriculture on WGN. Hear his reports weekday mornings on the Steve Cochran Show and during the noon hour on the Wintrust Business Lunch. Plus, catch Orion and Max on Saturday mornings at 5 a.m. only on Chicago's WGN Radio 720.